Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. It's a ratio. Okay, though. It's a ratio. Okay, though. So you are definitely part of rap history and being part of Back on the Block, the Quincy Jones album. What did you learn being around Quincy? Because he's a true musical genius. This was the first time that someone actually, the producer actually sat there and said, no, I want you to do this. No, I want you to do that. And once we finished, you know, Quincy was like, you know what? That fast rapping style that you do, it reminds, because that's, that's when he told me the story about Ella Fitzgerald and how she did it and what made her different than any, anybody else that, you know, did, did it. And he was like, you mind saying that rhyme for her? And I'm like, nah. So he called Ella Fitzgerald at home. Wow. You know, she's probably in her 90s or something like that, you know, and he called her and said, hey, honey, we just finished on um, this song such and such. I want you to hear something. He hands me the phone and just says, just say it. So I said the rhyme, you know, such and such, such, you know, and she didn't say nothing. So I was like, what you think? She said, huh? I don't think she heard anything. (laughs) But regardless of the fact, I got to spit on the phone for Ella Fitzgerald. So it is what it is. Big Daddy Kane is one of the greatest MCs of all time the smooth operator. I have never interviewed him before, and there were so many things I wanted to talk to him about, from his rhyming to getting attacked when the Juice Crew, his crew got attacked by KRS-One and Boogie Down Productions, changing the history of hip-hop, to his moment in Madonna's sex book, which was kind of, yeah, we're going to get into that too. We recorded this a minute ago before... His homeboy, his brother in the Juice Crew, Biz Marquis, passed away. So we talk about Biz, but we don't talk about Biz in the past tense because he was still with us when we recorded this interview. Let's go. It's Big Daddy Kane, the smooth operator on Torre Show. love about hip-hop you've spent your life in this culture making this music being a huge part of the culture what do you love about hip-hop i guess what i really love about hip-hop is the the way um it makes you feel like the way it can touch your soul i mean um you know i mean there's been so many beautiful 
soul records, um, blues songs, country songs that, you know, can reach you, you know, in a spiritual way. But I think that hip hop just really gravitates to um, what black youth really grew up, you know, being witness to and, and living, you know, I mean, it really touches, you know, in a, in, in a different kind of way, you know, it, it just really hit different, you know. When you were, um, when you were a teenager, like first coming up, like what was, what was your favorite kind of music? Like before you were making music? Um, well, you know, um, when you was a little, you know, a little kid, you listen to what your parents play. Right. So, um, you know, I'm hearing, uh, Marvin Gaye, Isley Brothers, um, Teddy Pendergrass, Barry White, you know, things of that nature. Um, yeah, cool in the gang, you know? I mean, I can see a parallel between Teddy Pendergrass, Marvin Gaye, and yourself in terms of the way that you presented yourself, the way that they presented themselves. Do you do you see a parallel there? Um I can definitely agree with the Marvin. Um, you know, one night back in 87, when I only had a single out, I hooked up with Dougie Fresh and we hung out and he played some videos for me of Earth, Wind and Fire, Michael Jackson and Pink Floyd and was explaining how everybody else in hip hop right now are learning from Run DMC and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, because those were, you know, the predecessors. And um, but he was basically saying that what he does is he study these um, pop icons because nobody in hip hop has done what they've done yet. So I was like, wow, interesting. So the next day I went out and bought um, Marvin Gaye, Barry White and James Brown um, VHSs. And I really studied them and tried to incorporate a lot of their elements into my stage show. Well, what did you, I mean, can you talk about what elements from them that you, you really grabbed on and, and used? Yeah, I mean, you know, Marvin just had a certain swagger on stage. You know, he just had a certain coolness and he just moved gracefully. You know, like normally, you know, you see a hip hop dude, you know, it's, you know, that's, that's, that's the energy. That's, that's what we do, you know, but I tried to have that, you know, that Marvin swagger, that graceness, you know, just let it flow. You know, um, that's something that I really picked up for him. And then the performance through Smooth Operator, I compl- completely stole his Let's Get It On move. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. You I know. mean, the, 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 the depth and quality of your voice, it really overpowers the records. You know, as soon as you start talking, you're completely focused on that Kane sound. Um, which reminds me of, of Barry White and how you just love, you could listen to both you guys, just listen to you read the phone book. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I was, I was, I was tuned into Barry's style before my voice changed. My voice didn't really change until I think I was 20. Um, cause my voice was a lot higher. If you listen to the first album, um, I think it changed like right after the release of the second album. That's when my voice like really started changing. Um, but um, with Barry, you know, he was just cool, you know, and he had a certain way of, you know, connecting with people in the crowd. It could be just one little small thing, you know, just pointing to them or just saying something to them. You know, he could have, you know, um, like, you know, he could have been singing the regular words of the song right there, right there. And then point to someone in the crowd. 
hey there, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like stuff like that, you know, just where, you know, you got, now you got them involved, you know? Were there things that you took from them that you brought to the records, like just in the studio and in the writing? Um, well, writing wise, I mean, uh, I was really like a student of Grandmaster Kaz from the Cold Crush Brothers and um, Smokey Robinson, you know. Um, um, I, I like listening to the pioneers from the late 70s. Well, I mean, you know, they, they early 70s. I mean, when I heard them, it was late 70s when I heard them, you know, um, like the Kumo D, Grandmaster Kaz, Melly Mel you know, listening to those guys, it was like, you know, they were like the top three. And um, Kaz just had this certain swagger, just remind you of that 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 Brooklyn barbershop talk, yeah. pool hall talk, you know, slick talk and stuff. And I just really admired dude. So I learned a lot from listening to Kaz. And as far as um, putting words together and clever thinking, I learned a lot from... Smokey Robinson and Chris Christopherson. I think Chris Christopherson. Like, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, I liked I liked him in the seventies. I mean, now your I mean your pen was more complex than anybody before you. Like you were in an era of like you and Rakim, who like you know and Cool G Rap, who advanced the level of complexity to a level that we had not seen before. Um, what were you trying to do as a writer? Because you're, you know, you're just bringing in a whole different level of sonic complexity than we had ever had. I mean, honestly, just introduce the world to me, you know, <laughs> like for real, really just introduce the world to me, just open my mind, um, you know, to them, you know. Uh, you know, I grew up as a fan of hip hop, um, you know, since probably like 75, you know, when Cats was at the age of one, my life begun, you know, those type of rhymes, you know, and to see what it became, um, thanks to Melly Mel, where brothers started really start, they started using their own voice and the, you know, the, like lyrical content really, you know, stepped it up, you know, I mean, just, just seeing that, I mean, it was like just monumental to me. So, I mean, I felt like, I wanted to, um, you know, really bring those type of dynamics to the game, you know, and, uh, you know, just, you know, just, just, just really open my mind, my mind up to people so they can see the way I think, you know. Were you a big reader as a kid? Is that, I mean, like, cause you had the, the vocab and the, the way of putting it together in a complex way and, um, like, like, yeah, were you a big reader or? Yeah, I was. I was. I, w I definitely was. Um, uh, but on, you know, also um, in school, you know, I, I was um, at, at the time I was, you know, real good in English as well. So, um, you, you know, there, there was just something that I thought was just important. And especially like, you know, when, when you're at a park jam and you, you know, um, like I don't, I don't uh, like, you know, in Brooklyn, Back in the 70s, you know, you see them, they, they throw on Love is the Message or they throw on Bra and you see the mic line form and cats getting the mic line to rhyme and everybody get up there and you see they cuffing the mic and they, you know, like good, and you can't really hear them, you know, because they cuffing the mic like this, you know. And 
you know, a lot of cats, you know, like, you know, the, you know, the weed smokers and the 40 ounce drinkers, you know, they, 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 you know, they might be a tad bit slurred. So you can't really understand them. So that was something that was very important to me because, you know, just watching like um, R&B vocalists, it was like clarity was just, you know, so I've really, really, that meant something to me. I felt like that was so important, you know, and then also, you know, Marvin Gaye had a habit of holding the mic down here. He never really had it up here. His mic would be down here, you know. So that was just something that was just real important to me through my career. You were you were you big on going to the parks and and rhyming in the parks? Because in that seventies era, before it was on wax, it was all park jams and mm-hmm. you know some rec centers. But it was that it was that you talking about like DJs, you know, put on them, you know, pull out a mic, get in line, and you know anybody anybody who had enough respect of the DJ could get on the mic. So was that, that was, that was you, you were, you were going to different parks and rhyming. Absolutely. I mean, for me, I didn't start rapping until 82. So, um, that's when I started getting the seventies. I was just going like, you know, anytime I hear the name master D or, um, Vaughn K, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gone, you know, or, or, um, Mike music, I'm gone, you know, but in 82, uh, when I started rapping, I started off as a battle rapper. So I was going to park jams and block parties to battle whoever was the most popular rapper in that neighborhood. I would go there to battle him. How did you develop as an MC? Like, what what were you doing at home to get ready to be a battle rapper? (laughs) Well, uh, my older cousin, Murdoch, which is the same person that used to take me to all the park jams in the 70s, he decided he wanted to rap. So because he was my older cousin, I looked up to him. 82, I said, well, I want to rap too. So I started writing rhymes for myself and asked him, could I get down with his crew? And he told me I wasn't old enough. How so old were you? So that's when I figured, huh? How old were you then? 82, I don't know, maybe like 13, something like that. Okay. Um, so I figured that if I started writing battle rhymes and I could beat the other two dudes in his crew, he would put me down. So I just started writing, you know, battle diss rhymes. And um, I battled both the guys and his crew. And, you know, it was like, yo, I beat such and such and such and such. You know, can I be down now? And he was like, man, you know, I ain't thinking about that shit no more. I'm playing football in school now. You know, so <laughs> he, wasn't, he, didn't, he, he wasn't even focused on rap no more. But, I mean, it was the type of thing where people in the neighborhood were saying I was good at it. So I just stayed with it. I just stayed with it and kept writing and kept writing battle rhymes and kept going to different, um, you know, projects in Brooklyn, battling different rappers. I mean, a lot of people were were good or committed in that era and didn't make it to putting records on wax, didn't make it to the studio and the label level. So how did you cross over from, OK, like I got a little rap in the street. You know, I'm 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 comfortable here. I'm popular here. But then to make it over to like, I'm going to a studio. You know, I'm I'm signed. Like, you know, I'm a real professional MC. Um, that would be when I met Biz Marquis. Uh, I had a friend that lived in Long Island who was, you know, also friends with Biz, and he used to always come around telling me, "Yo, my man Biz Marquis D did this. Yo, my man Biz Marquis D said that." Always tell me about Biz. Then one day 
Um, I was at my grandmother's house and he came, which was across the street from the Albee Square Mall. And he mm-hmm. came and told me, yo, there's Marky D in the mall. He was just beatboxing for me. He can beatbox too. He was doing the beat from numbers and da da da. I'm like, he over there right now? So we went to the mall. I asked Biz to battle. We battled. After the battle, Biz was like, yo, you dope, man. You Who need- won? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> After the battle, um, he, um, he, uh, he, he said, yo, you dope. You should get down with me, man. I be doing shows in um, Manhattan, Bronx, Long Island. And if you get down with me, I promise you, I'm going to get you a record deal one day. Wow. And he kept his word. That's 82? No, no, no. This is 84. Okay. This is 84. Um, and, um, you know, he once he got on with the Juice Crew, he came back, recruited me to um, to, to write most of his album for him. And um, once we did that, you know, he got me established as my own solo artist, as being my own solo artist. It's interesting. I mean, I I always love Biz Marquis and his records, but he's funny. And I mean, he's a serious, I mean, he's a real MC, but he's funny. Mm -hmm. And you're serious as a heart attack. So it's interesting, the, the, the connection between the two of you. Well, Biz always knew what he wanted, you know? Uh, Biz, you know, he'll come and be like, yo, I'm going to use the slogan from um, Nobody Beats the Wiz, but I'm going to say Nobody Beats the Biz. Right. I need the flow to be like, a zooka, 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 You know, right. he already knew what he wanted. You know, right. he'd be like, yo, I want to do a song called Pickin' Boogers. Um, I'm like, what you, what you want me to say? I don't know, tell some stories about Pickin' Boogers, but somewhere in there, I just want you to put, hey, ma, what's for dinner? Go up your nose and pick a winner. You know, he, he he knew what he wanted, you know, he knew what he wanted. So I just really had to just, you know, uh, put it in rap form and make it funny, you know. So you're learning how to be a writer. Um, but I mean, like, talk to me more about how you wrote, um, you know, and what you were thinking about as you were writing. Because you like, you know, like we said, you're, you're one of the great writers of all time. Your style was, you know, beyond almost everybody who was doing it. At that time, so I mean, like, what you know, what were you thinking about as you're as you're putting pen to paper? Um, well, you know, it it, it differs, brother. It, it, it you know, it differs. I mean, um, you know, it depends on you know what direction we're going. You know, um, it, you know, um, a lot of cases it's like showcasing my lyrical skill. So even though it's a song, you know, um. Even though I'm recording a song, I might still be in battle mode where I got to say the hottest stuff I can think of. And then there's some cases where it's like, you know, there's, there's, there's stuff going on in the neighborhood or in the world that just really bother me. And I got to express my view. You know, I have to say what I feel about it. And, you know, I try to get that across in a way where I'm telling my story, but also I might possibly be telling yours as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, so not only do you feel my pain, I want you to know I feel yours as well. You know, were you quick with coming up with the with your songs, or did it take you a little time? Were you like one to like scratch out words, and I'm really searching for the right combination of words here? Or you kind of like it just kind of flowed easily. It depends. You know, sometimes it's real quick. It's sometimes it's real quick. It's real easy. Sometimes. 
you know, uh, I might be halfway through and I'm like, this is not it. Nah. And I have to, you know, walk away, you know, and, um, you know, just catch another vibe, you know, um, you know, I don't know, go, go see something relating to the situation or whatever the case may be and start back over, you know, but it differs. I mean, your, your, your verses were of course legendary, but you're also really good at coming up with great hooks, you know, ain't oh, no half oh, step in and I don't think so. What do you mean? What do you, I mean, like the smooth operator. I mean, like some of these things, like, you know, ain't no half step in, became part of the language that you know like we just continue to stay for years and years after that and i didn't come up with that hook that's heat wave okay (laughs) you know but you had great you had great hooks all the time what do you what do you mean you don't think so no i mean i mean i honestly i always felt like that was one of my weaknesses um when it came to creating hooks like um i i don't have that that skill like say um Tretch from Naughty by Nature. I think Naughty by Nature had they probably they probably have the greatest hooks um of any other hip hop artist ever. You know, Naughty just did his hook masters. You know, I wish I'd have known those cats in um eighty seven, <laughs> eighty eight, you know? They're just incredible when it comes to making hooks. I mean, you know, I don't really of- think that that's really one of my strong points. You know, sometimes I'll be on, other times I'm off, you know. Well, well, Okay, so what do you think is your strength as an MC? What is the lyrics. just lyrics, writing lyrics, verses? Yeah, that's something that you know I can you know I can do you know um, you know in my sleep, man, um, because um, the way my mind thinks, because I'm always all over the place. Um, so therefore, I can put something together that'd be incredible for me. I can put something together that'd be incredible for you. You know, um, you know, I mean, if I listen to, to, to your style, you know, I can come up with something in your style, you know, I mean, you know, so, I mean, yeah, that's my thing. I mean, your lyrics are, 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 you know, top rate, but sometimes it's just the way that you spit the words, the rhythm in between the beat that makes it so fly. Um, and so I wonder just about developing that sense of rhythm within the beat that can make almost a- average words sound fly as hell just because of the way you dropped them in between the beat or on the beat or or behind the beat or whatever whatever you were choosing. I mean, that's I think that's just a Brooklyn thing, man, for real. I mean, I, I think that, you know, uh, I think Brooklyn MCs just know how to embrace a beat like no other like they 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 get on some real Ella Fitzgerald type of thing and they just mm. fall into it like an instrument you know um I mean you look at fabulous Jay-Z Biggie and you could even go prior to me you look at ecstasy from Houdini rest in peace um you look at disco Richie from divine sounds even Jimmy Spicer when everybody else you know, in you know, in the early years was everybody was all like, you know, uh, come on to the blade. You know, Jimmy Spicer, he was doing that too, but he still break away with some this DJ, he gets down mixing records while they go around. You know, and that's that Brooklyn thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, just a thing we just become an instrument, you know, on, on the track. Yeah, that's the one of the things that I love about MCing is when you become that instrument within the track. You're a drum. 
within the track. And sometimes my first or second time through listening to an MC's record, you're not really getting all the words, but you're hearing the rhythmic relationship to the track and the way you are percussive within the track. And that will like draw you in to where I'm like, okay, I want to learn and listen to all these words because the way that he's spitting it is so dope. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that I actually learned a little later, um, exactly how to make it, make it work. I mean, it's something that came natural, but I learned how to really control it um, um, in the early 90s um, after um, working with Quincy Jones. You know, um, like when he was telling me like a lot of jazz vocalists um, would fall into the track and follow the piano. And he was saying how Ella Fitzgerald, like with her, she used to try to, um, her scatting thing, she would try to like do it like a horn. Like she was like, her right. movement was like a horn section, you know? Right. So I was like, hmm. So, I mean, that's something that, you know, like when I'm writing, if I want to change up the flow, I might, you know, hum it out in a horn fashion before I put it in words, you know? It's interesting you're saying you think of yourself as a horn within it, because I always see y'all, I mean, a great MC like you as 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 a drum within it. You know, like even like an African djembe on top of a, a you know another drum, uh, like it it seems very percussive. And a horn can be percussive, but you you especially feel to me like a drum within the track. Hey, that's cool, baby. I mean, I'll take that too, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure you've been asked this before, but I want to know your top five MCs, who are the people who you most like listening to and, and listen to and you're like, damn, like he really put it down. Okay. So you mean, um, five people, not including myself. Um, uh, G rap. Cool G rap. Nas, uh, Rakim. Uh, KRS, Biggie. Okay, all right. Rakim and you were at the same time. I know that he looked at you as something of a rival, even though I know he felt like I'm better than everybody, but he was like, Kane, I'm checking for him. I'm listening to his records and like, like what's he doing? Um, did you look at him as sort of a rival? Like, okay, that guy's... That guy's doing some, you know, that guy's making some hot shit. Let me listen to him, see what he's doing and innovate. Um, mm, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't really say as a rival. I, 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 I guess I looked at Rakim more as, you know, as a, as a, as a great MC. I just yeah. saw him as a, you know, as an incredible MC. Um, I would, I mean, I, I would look, I, I think back then I looked at Karis one more as a rival. Okay. Because, um, uh, you know, I did not, I never really considered Rakim to be a battle rapper. You know, he's a great lyricist, but I never considered him to be a battle rapper. Karis one, on the other hand, is a great battle rapper and a great performer. Hell yeah. 
you know? So, I mean, it's like, you know, uh, the things that I'm known for, you know, I'm known for being a lyricist. I'm known for being a battle rapper. I'm known for being a great performer. Um, KRS, you know, has all those same things. So he was the one who I really kind of looked at as like, you know, um, that, that, that rival. It's just that we was cool. We was like real close friends. We was real cool with each other. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Well, let me, I want to ask you something about KRS, but, but, but first, just to lead into that, you were part of the Juice Crew, mm-hmm. and, and uh, you know, Marley Ball and, and, and MC Shan and you know, Roxanne Chante, and in that, what, 86, 87, 88 period, Y'all were the kings and queen of New York. It was all about the Juice Crew. Y'all were the shit. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, just first off, 
how did it feel being part of this crew that is just dominant in this, uh, in, you know, in New York at that period? You know, that, that you must have felt like, you know, we're, we're on the greatest team that ever existed in this whole, in this whole culture. I mean, it was amazing because, I mean, uh, when they didn't know who I was and I would come around for like a studio session uh, with Biz and Shantae or when Biz was doing a show with Shantae, it was like Shantae was like hot as fish grease. You know, yes. she was just doing her thing, man. So yes. I'm like, you know, and and then. Um, the first time I was in the studio to find out that she don't write rhymes, she just go off the top of the head. I'm like, so Roxanne, Roxanne, Queen of Rocks, all these damn songs is just off the top of her head. And Biz is like, yeah. I'm like, wow. I, you know, I was just fascinated. So, I, you know, I was like amazed by that. And then um, whenever I used to battle at um, uh, park jams during that time period, I always used to rhyme off the bridge. MC uh-huh. Shan song. Uh-huh. That's what I was always rhyming off of. So to uh-huh. actually meet dude, you know, I was like, wow. And then now we, I'm in the same crew with them. And then when I get down, um, here's this new dude that they putting out that's a lyrical beast, which is Cool G Rap. Mm-hmm. Like he's just coming out like the same time I'm getting down with Biz, you know. So And I'm like, oh, and I'm going to have this dude on my side too? Oh, it's over. You know, I mean, it was that type of feeling. And and to have Marley Maul in your corner at that time, I mean, he was the architect of the sound of that time. To have him in the center of the Juice Crew, um, I mean, that was incredible. Well, I mean, you know, it was like at that point in time, Marley Maul was the hottest producer in hip-hop. And Mr. Magic controlled the airwaves. So yep. it was like, wait a minute, <laughs> we yep. get the hot sound and we got guaranteed radio play? Oh, yep. man. It, you know? Yeah, it was just amazing. I mean, when you drove around the city at that time, it must have been like, you know, like everybody who knew anything about rap, was we call it rap mainly back then. Mm-hmm. Anybody who knew anything about rap would be like, oh, my God, you know, Big Daddy Kane, Juice Crew, you guys are the freaking killers. No, I mean it, it. It was beautiful. I mean, and we 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 got a lot of love, and I I really had um, a real pure experience of it when we did um, Juice Crew at the Apollo. Fly right. Ty put together, um, I believe it was like four shows at the Apollo, and like all of them sold out like that. And I mean, the crowd went crazy, and Ty had production for all of us where. You know, with me coming out the ceiling and um, uh, girls dropping rose petals and stuff. And then Biz had a big, gigantic nose where boogers is falling out. And then he just <laughs> dropped out of one of the nostrils. Um, MC Shan used the band. I mean, it, it, it was crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Okay, so you guys are the Goliath of hip hop. The biggest, baddest crew in rap at that time. And then this guy out of nowhere, out of the Bronx, who nobody in rap culture had ever heard of, KRS-One, what the fuck does that even mean? Makes a crazy diss record, the Bronx, mm-hmm. right? That like is a just 
dope record. What was that moment for you and the Juice Crew when that, because that record like hit the culture like a bomb, um, you know, and it's like, like, you know, like David throwing a rock at Goliath, like I'm ready to fight. What's up? Like, so when you first heard that, you saw the impact it was having on the culture. What was your feeling? Um, well, at that point in time, I didn't even know. Um, I didn't have a song out yet. Okay. Um, I was with Biz, just touring with Biz, um, you know, coming out during his set. But I didn't have a song out yet. And me and KRS was cool. Like, like KRS always showed me and Biz love. Like, you know. You, he, you, didn't, you didn't know him before the record came out, before, his, his, before the, uh, the South Bronx record came out. No. Well, I mean, um, I, I, I may have, but not like where we're kicking it, you know, because, um, you know, he hung at the quarters and I hung at the quarters all the time. So, we, you know, our paths probably crossed, but I just, you know, you know, we just never really, you know, connected. Latin quarters. But um, we got cool after um, South Bronx came out because him and Biz was doing a lot of shows together. You Did know. you not feel like it was dissing your crew? Um, well, in all honesty, I felt like it was dissing Shan, and me and Shan didn't have a friendly relationship at the time. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you didn't. So you didn't. You didn't feel like it was against your team because you weren't. Because like MC Shan is, he's doing his own thing. Well, I mean, um, me and Shan didn't have a good relationship. You know, I mean, I mean, like, you know, like we didn't get along at all, you know. So um, when um, when when Chris went at him, you know, uh, it didn't bother me. You know, it didn't affect me any, you know. I mean, it was one of them type of things where like, you know, like. Damn. This is like that dream battle. This is that dream battle right here. Me and KRS. But, um, you know, I, I mean. At that point in time, I just felt like, you know, um, I, 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 I couldn't do it in, in support of um, Shan because, you know, of the things that, you know, I mean, because of the way I relate, I rock, how rocky our relationship was at that point. I mean, we cool as a fan now, right. you know, we know, I, 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 and I love, I love Shan, but, you know, it was funky back then, you know, real funky. Because when the bridge is over came out, KRS definitely changed the course of rap culture and rap history. Because MC Shan had been pretty much the number one rapper in the game. And after that record came out, Shan kind of fell off, right? Queens kind of like felt like knocked on their back. And KRS was kind of rolling around like he was the king. Yeah, I mean... KRS was definitely on top of his game. I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, Shan fell off, but I mean, it was just that, um, I guess, you know, like a lot of the fans that looked at, you know, KRS as the winner of the battle, yeah. you know? Um, but I don't think that Shan fell off, you know? But, um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, KRS was doing his thing. But, at, you know, as I told you, I mean, he was always cool with me and he was cool with Biz. So we never had that issue. Because like, even when... Um, when Shantae did have a nice day and, um, you know, um, they decided they wanted, 
because the next song, Bridge is Over, that's when he did Shantae that time. Right, right. So Shantae, you know, wanted to go at him, and that's the song that I wrote for Shantae, you know. So, um, you know, I wrote this rhymes about Chris, um, you know, for Shantae to, to say. And um, I told Chris, the next time I saw him, I was like, yo, heads up, um, you know, um, I wrote this song for Shantae, um, you know, going at you. And he was like, you wrote it? I was like, yeah. And he was like, you said something about my nose? I was like, nah, 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 nah. He told you what his weakness was, what his vote, like, you dissed my nose, I'm going to be really upset. Nah, I think it was the type of thing where, you know, we all used to crack jokes, me, him, Biz, you know, um, D-Nice, Scott LaRock. Well, no, not really. Scott LaRock was more mature. Um, But me, KRS, D-Nice, Biz, you know, we all crack jokes, you know. So I I, I think he just thought one of those, you know, cheap shots was coming. But I was like, nah. But then when he heard the song, KRS, you know, you know, reached out to me, crying, laughing. He was like, yo, you know. The KRS is my graph. That's my graph name, but I'm sitting here listening to this song like, damn, it does sound like a whack radio station. And he's like <laughs> crying, laughing, you know, like he's dying laughing about it, you know? But I mean, that's how cool we was, you know? What made you, I mean, it is, it, it's true because the West Coast radio stations start with a K. But yeah. like, what made you think of that, of that, like, it sound like a whack radio station? Like, it's, it's a great diss. It kind of like explodes in the mind. It's funny. It's not mean. It's funny, but it kind of gets to the core of who you are as a, as an artist. What made you even think of that? I don't. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's like just, it's it's like when you you studying the person. You know, you just I don't know. You know, just just studying them. It's like okay, where can I go? Okay, yeah, KRS. Hmm. You know. You know, <laughs> it does sound like a whack radio station. I mean, but that's the way it should be that, you know, you guys are having a battle. You can you can hit him up behind the scenes. Yo, you know, we send a shot your way. He can call you, be like, yo, good shot. You know, I'll get you back. You know, what happened in subsequent decades is that any little subliminal shot meant, you know, I have to try to shoot you or my boy has to try to shoot your boy. Shit got out of control. And that battling was critical to what hip-hop culture was all about. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, you know, I guess after time change, you know, uh, and hip-hop, you know, commercialized, um, you know, became the type of thing where a younger generation of artists came in the game and, you know, they scared to take a lyrical ass whipping, you know? <laughs> I, I mean, mean, in your day, you know, I mean, you could, nowadays, you could you could take a lyrical ass whipping and continue on. Drake, you know, lost that battle, whatever. Nobody cares. Y'all move on. In the 80s, if you got dissed really hard on a record... It might mean your career was over or seriously yeah. dented. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I've seen it happen in so many different occasions, you know. <laughs> you might I can see where you'd be afraid to battle somebody cuz so you know, you talk about being there, helping other people. 
when it's your turn to write a record for yourself, how are you feeling? How do you approach it? Like, how do you, cause you didn't, you didn't just put out a bunch of records. You had an image and a style, you know, and it, but it wasn't just image and style. There was a lot of uh, substance to what you were bringing in terms of being a real musician. I mean, you know, I was studying a lot of the greats, brother. You know, I was studying a whole lot of the greats. And, um, you know, I mean... You mean like the James Brown and the Teddy Pendergrass? Who else were you studying? I was studying Marvin Gaye. I was studying James Brown. Um, From the battle aspect, I was studying Muhammad Ali. Mm. Um, I was studying... um, uh, David Ruffin, uh, Willie Hutch, um, Curtis Mayfield. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you take from Ali? Ali, Ali gets into your mind. It's like he, 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 he won the fight before you even got in the ring. Ali had already beat most of his opponents before he even got in the ring with them. Because he had done took they they, they mental he had done took their heart before they even walked into the ring, you know. And that's something that you know I I like like in high school I was in a group called the Debonair Three, uh-huh. and you know sometimes it might be another group that came up to the school to battle, and it could be three or four of them wanting to battle our group, and um after they first rap a rhyme I might tell the other two dudes in my group. Hun, hey, y'all fall back. I got it. <laughs> I got all four of y'all. <laughs> and, you know, that'll scare the mess out of them. You know, it's like well, they're, not, they're not focused anymore. You know, they're not focused anymore. Or like if I'm battling someone and he got a whole crew with him. Or if I'm, I'm at your high school or I'm on your block where you're popular. Naturally, they're going to want to boo me. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order. Usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market dot com slash Torrey thrive market dot com slash Torrey on March 16th 2000 two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta Jamil Alameen a Muslim leader and former black power activist was convicted but the evidence was shaky and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial my name is Mosi Secret and when I started investigating this case in my hometown I uncovered a dark truth about America from Tinderfoot TV Campside Media and iHeart Podcasts Radical is available now Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
me because they don't know me and they love you. But now, if I incorporate one of your boys in my rhyme and make him look fly, I'm all right now. I'm all right now. And you're so busy getting upset with your man that you're not even really 100% focused on me anymore, you know? So, I mean, you know, I'm in your head, man. You know, I mean, these are tricks that I saw Ali use. I just figured out ways to use them in hip hop. You know, who else were you? Who else were you learning from? Who wasn't an MC? Um. Well, I mean, yeah, like the, you know, the ones who I told you, you know, um, Ali, um, and um, you know, the the the, the R and B vocalist, you know, the soul vocalist. Were you a fan of Bruce Lee? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. all of us who came up in that period were fans of Bruce Lee. What did you no, do? That's how I ended up with the name Kane, you know? Uh, How's that? Because like, when I was a little child, you know, we'd be outside, um, you know, we'd be outside playing Coco Livio or um, Red Rover, yes. Red Rover, yeah. or whatever. And, you know, um, three o'clock on Saturday, I'm gone. You right. know, we could be in the middle of a stickball game, you know, 258. Right. I got two minutes before Kung Fu Theater start. Right. You know, Thursday night, nine o'clock, you know, uh, hey, I'm gone. I'm going to go watch David Carradine and Kung Fu. Right. So, you know, whenever I get ready to bounce, you know, they, you know, they'd be like, you know, like, all right, there go Bruce Lee. Or there go Kane. There go Young Grasshopper. So when I start, you know, the rapping thing, I, I, I you know, out of, out of Bruce Lee, Young Grasshopper and Kane, I thought Kane sounded the best, you know? So that's what I ran with, MC Kane, and then incorporated the Big Daddy part later. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, yeah, the Kane come from David Carradine character. I just spelled it different. Right, 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 right. I mean, the speed with which you could flow is one of the things that people will always love and respect you for. When did that really start, and how did you really master that, being able to spit really fast and still be sharp and clear well i mean that was the thing that meant a lot to me because um you know learning um from the generation before me you know um like uh when you listen to the kumo d busy b battle mm -hmm. and you're hearing kumo d doing that very 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 whatever you know, oh my god the fame and glory he's going real fast you know and like grandmaster kaz you know he had this flow where he put a bunch of words together you know i just dress my best and request my guests not to mess with the sets that i don't that i possess you know like he's doing it, it it's like i'm seeing these cats you know this is like 81 82 that these cats is doing this you know so, I mean, I'm learning from these dudes and, you know, I'm creating, trying to put it together in my own style. But, you know, um, you know, this is that first generation of hip hop, you know, the cats that cuff the mic and, and stuff like that. So I'm trying to make sure that I, when I do it, I want to be where you hear every single word, every syllable. Yeah. Did you, well, what kind of practice were you in? Were you doing drills? Like, were you doing things to like, loosen and prepare the mouth to be able to speak clearly and have control at speed? Yeah. I mean, you know, um, I, you know, I, I would say it over and over. And if, 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 if I get stuck, I'd, I'd lay on my back and say it, you know? Yeah. That, that make it harder to say it like, Oh when yeah. You're laying down flat. Oh yeah. 
You lay on your back and try to try to try to spit a rap song. <laughs> Let me know how that work out for you. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that people remember who remember your whole career is that you were one of the people who was mentoring and bringing along a young Jay Z when he was first first coming up. Um, what was what was young Jay like, and why were you even entertaining this kid? I mean, quiet brother, but definitely a student of the game. Like wherever he was, whatever you know situation he was in, he was always studying what's going on. He was definitely a student of the game, and um, I met him through um, a producer, um, Fresh Gordon. Mm -hmm. He had a um, song called Gordy's Groove, you know. Um, but I um, I went to Gordy's house to make a mixtape with Jazz O. And Jazz O said, yo, can my man rhyme on the tape? And his man ended up being Jay-Z. And we made the tape. And then riding back home, uh, one of the cats from the Shirt King said, yo, um, the reason why we wanted you to do this tape with Gordy, I mean, with um, the Jazz, is because we're trying to get him a new deal. You think, um um, you can help out, you know, um, we're trying to get him a new deal. And I was like, honestly, I kind of like that light skin dude better, man. Mm. I'm like, you know, is it possible I can work with him? And that's how, you know, that's how we connected. What did you see in him that made you say that? Um, I, cause it was, I think the jazz, oh, like, has one of the most amazing flows yeah. I've ever heard. You know, his flow and cadence is ridiculous, man. Dude is, is spectacular. Um, but it was what Jay was saying. I'm listening to the lyrics that Jay's saying, like Jay, Jay flowing. And I mean, I felt like Jay flow wasn't as tight as jazz, but lyrically he was just, monstrous man and i was like yeah so the level of content and yeah. the intelligence was there from the beginning yeah i was like yeah that dude got bars like yeah he's nice so you were definitely part uh, a part of rap history and being part of back on the block the quincy jones album and you know one of the things with that that joint because I loved rap from the first time I heard Rapper's Delight. I was like, yo, this is that shit. I love this. And it was an argument with my parents the whole 80s. They were like, it's a fad. It's not music. It's going to go away. I'm like, are you kidding? Listen to Kane. Listen to Public Enemy. Listen to Rakim. Listen to this. Listen to that. And they're like, nah, nah, it's about to go away. And then when Quincy Jones dropped a rap album, they were like, Oh, this is serious. This is music, right? Because Quincy Jones was their man from back in the 60s. Then they were still like, oh, okay, now we get it. Now we're down. Talk about just getting involved in that Quincy project and what you might have learned. I mean, you talked about Ella Fitzgerald, that stuff a little bit, but what you what did you learn being around Quincy? Because he's a true musical genius. Well, that was the first time in my entire life that I had been produced. I worked with a lot of producers up until that point, but it was the type of thing where they make a beat, I write a rhyme, spit to it, and that's that. 
this was the first time that someone actually, the producer actually sat there and said, no, I want you to do this. No, I want you to do that. Um, and he's like, what you know about Ella Fitzgerald? What you know about Sarah Vaughn? You know, what you know about Miles Davis? I'm like, nothing, you know, I'm like, not much. And then he had his assistant bring in something that I never knew even existed. Black encyclopedias. His assistant had them bring in, it must have been about 40 or 50 books all about, you know, black history and going through them. Yeah. They had, you know, stuff about Sarah Vaughn, Ella Fitzgerald, Dizzy Gillespie, Miles Davis. And I'm reading this stuff. I'm reading these paragraphs about them. And then while I'm reading it, Quincy's in my ear. Oh, yeah. You know, um, I remember the time that Sarah such and such and such. Well, you, um, y'all, you know, Miles, man, me and him used to hang. And, you know, we used to use the word homeboy back in, you know, and, you know, he's telling me all these stories. And, you know, yeah, we called him such and such. You know, we called him the cool and that, you know, and, um, you know, and I'm putting it all down. And and once we finished, you know, Quincy was like, you know what? That fast rapping style that you do, it reminds because that's that's when he told me the story about Ella Fitzgerald and how she did it and what made her different than anybody else that, you know, did, did it. And he was like, you mind saying that rhyme for her? And I'm like, nah. So he called Ella Fitzgerald at home. Wow. You know, she probably in her nineties or something like that, you know, and he called her and say, like, Hey honey, we just finished on um, this song, such and such. I want you to hear something. And he hands me the phone and just says, just say it. So I said the rhyme, you know, such and such and such, you know, and she didn't say nothing. So I was like, what you think? She said, huh? <laughs> I don't think she heard it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think she heard a word of it. Like I said, she like 90 something, man. You know what I mean? You know, but regardless of the fact, I got to spit on the phone for Ella Fitzgerald. So it is what it is, baby. <laughs> man, anytime you talk to an older person, whatever you say, the response is going to be, huh? <laughs> it was one of them drawn out ones. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yo, I've been, yo, I want to ask you about um, the Madonna book. Can I ask you something about the Madonna book? Because she dropped a book that, you know, just exploded like a bomb on the culture the and i mean like american pop culture like it seemed like the book was called sex Mm -hmm. and and you know people who weren't there don't know it seemed like everybody in america stopped what they were doing to check out this book because she was hot as fish grease and you drop a book a big oversized photo book called sex everybody's like what is this about and it had her in all kinds of sexual positions with different friends. And I don't think anybody expected you to be in it. And there's kind of an iconic photo. Not, not, and you were known as a sex symbol in terms of what you were presenting. So, you know, kind of like, okay, it does make sense, but nobody expected to see you in there. And there's a legendary picture of you and Naomi Campbell, who was the hottest black model, Not one of the hottest yet. models, period. Definitely the hottest black model in the world. And you and Madonna and her in some sexual position, 
by a pool. And I always felt like your face was kind of like, what am I doing here? <laughs> oh. I want to know what you think about, you know, that moment, that book, and that whole situation. Oh, um, I mean, I was honored to be in it, man. You know, it was one of those crazy situations where Warner Brothers sent us off on this promotional tour. And they were like, yeah, it's going to be you, Madonna, and Color Me Bad. And I'm like, Madonna? Gigantic. You know, because I mean, time. you know, I mean, in my, in my opinion, you know, that's the queen of pop, man. You sure. know? And um, I'm like, wow. I'm going to be on a promotional tour. I mean, it, it, it wasn't like um, concerts. All we was doing was visiting hospitals. Um, wow. um, kids in, um, in like, um, like ICU or something like that, you know, um, we were just visiting kids in hospitals, wow. but all the hospitals were upscale hospitals, you know? So the kid, the children, none of them really knew who the hell I was, you know, okay. this wasn't my audience. And at one point, Madonna just says to one of the kids, and this is Big Daddy Kane. You know, Big Daddy Kane, let me hear you say ain't no have. St-. And I'm like, oh, Madonna know my shit. Wow. <laughs> you know, I'm like blown away that, you know, she showed love. And I, I guess she could see that. OK, yeah, they not they don't really know who Kane is. Let me let me let me let me bring him in the mix of this, you know. And she showed me love and, you know, cause, I mean, cause she could have just been on, on some regular diva stuff and just did what she had to do and kept it pushing. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I thought that that was beautiful. And then to top it off, she knew my music. Wow. You know? So, I mean, that really meant a lot to me, man, you know? And then afterwards, when the day was over, she was like, Hey, um, I'm doing this book and it's just photographs and I would love to have you in it. And I was like, yo, I would be honored. I would be honored. And she was like, okay, well, hold on. Before before you say that, let me <laughs> let's let you know that it's going to pretty much be nude photos. I was like, shit, even better. You know? <laughs> and she was like, all right, then, yeah. So we, we made it happen. And, I mean, you talk about someone just being so down to earth and so cool. It's like when I walked on the set, set that day, she was already filming. She had did this um, shoot where she's ass naked in the middle of the freeway with her thumb out like she hitchhiking. Right. Um, she had just got through doing that. So when I walk in, she just runs up to me, jumps up and gives me a big hug. Kane, so glad you're here. Let me tell you, we just finished doing this here sh- shot. Um, well, I'm just like this, standing in the middle of the street with my thumb out, thumb out, hitchhiking. Nobody stopped. Can you believe that? Fucking Madonna, and nobody stopped. Like, this is what she's saying to me. And I'm sitting there like, oh, this girl crazy as hell. <laughs> like, wow. Like, yo, this girl crazy as hell. You know, but yeah, she's just mad down to earth. Super cool, man. And I enjoyed working with her, man. It was really, truly an honor. I had a lot of fun that day. So, well, tell me about taking that photograph that's, that that we're talking about that's in there. What was that like? Um, you know, I mean, it was, I mean, I, I flew down with Naomi Campbell. We were sitting next to each other on the flight. So I already right. knew that she was going to be in the shoot. I didn't know she was going to be in it with me, but I already knew that she was going to be in it. Cause you know, we sat right next to each other on the flight to Miami, you know? 
But, um, you know, when they set it up, I was like, you know, oh, okay, we doing it like this? Let's go. You know, I, I thought it was, you know, me with Naomi Campbell and Madonna. I'm like, you know, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, this this, this going to be legendary. Mm-hmm. It's definitely legendary. You have, we started talking about this before, you have one of the great voices in hip-hop history, just the sound of it. Do you like the sound of your voice? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm cool with it. You know, I mean... I mean, it could be worse, man. It could be worse, you know? So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I have no complaints. You, I mean, I, I asked just because a, a lot of recording artists have told me they don't really like the sound of their own voice, and it's the instrument that they have, so they flow with it, but, like, you'd be... I, I'm surprised how many recording artists are like, I don't really like the sound of my voice, but it's it's what I got. But you uh, can- I mean, honestly, like, um, my first album back then, nah, I didn't like the sound of my voice. Okay. You know, I, I felt like my, 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 my voice was, you know, like, you know, real pitchy. I didn't like the sound of it, you know. Uh, but um, like I said, you know, I think when I turned about 20, my voice changed. And then also I started learning how to really, really use it. You know, I think by like, probably like by like 1997, I, that's when I think I really, really mastered. Um, how to use it, you know? I mean, when you, when you noticed, when you noticed it changing, were you like, oh, wow, like, okay, I'm going to have to react to this and figure out, because, you know, you said you made two records, two albums, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to, you're in the game now. Like, you know, people are going to notice, you're going to notice, like, my sound is different. So were you like, okay, I have to change, you know, like, I have to react to what's going on with me um, since the sound of my voice is deepening. Well, it was the type of thing where um, I remember seeing something um, where I guess that became an issue with Michael Jackson. What do you mean? When his voice changed. Yeah. From from Little Mike, yeah. from ABC and right. Love You Say, when it, when it changed to... Um, Off the wall. Um, the mic from like um, Enjoy Yourself and all that. Uh, yes. You know, I, from what I understand, like, I guess that was an issue and like a point where like the Jackson 5 wasn't really popping like they was, you know, in, um, in the beginning, you know. So, I mean, I, I had that concern in mind. But then when we dropped the next album and um, everybody was showing love uh, and Barry White um, um, got involved and Patti LaBelle wanted to work with me, Quincy Jones wanted to work with me. I was like, oh, no, everything is fine. So I ain't really think about it anymore. You know, you you used the word Asiatic a lot. You seem to have, you did have a lot of black pride in your style, in your lyrics. Um, you know, you seem to bring a certain swag to being dark skin, which a lot of people really loved and appreciated from you. I, I, I'd like to hear you just talk about what being black means to you because you're definitely one of the people who helped expand and define what it means to be black for a lot of people just as the sort of celebrity and icon that you were well i mean you know just knowing how gifted and unique we are as a people and 
all the things that, you know, we bring to life, you know, I, I mean, just knowing that I hate seeing when people are unhappy with who they are, unhappy to the point that they do things to their face or to their skin, mm-hmm. unhappy to the point that they feel like um, they have to marry out of their race to be accepted, you know, unhappy, you know, to the point that you look down on your own people instead of trying to educate them to, you know, bring them up, you know? So when I see stuff like that, you know, I, I, I just want to really embrace and show love to my people, let them know that they are special and they can make it. You know, I had, I had a dollar and a dream, man, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. if you got that, you can make it, you can make it. So I, I, I try to, you know, instill that in my people and, you know, and have fun doing it. You know, I don't want to be too preachy, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from. I want you to believe in yourself and know that you can achieve these same goals. Yeah, Yeah, definitely get that sense of pride in self and pride in being black from you. I mean, that just, and and like you said, like never preachy, you know, I don't think anyone puts you in like with the conscious MCs, but that message came through, you know, just in the way that you were and little things that you said and like, it definitely, definitely came through. Um, you, when you, I mean, when you were growing up, you y'all didn't have that much, right? To my family, yeah. Um, nah, I mean, we wasn't rich. I mean, uh, I mean, honestly speaking, um, we were doing better than a lot others. You know, uh, I mean, you know, my father was a truck driver. My mother was a registered nurse. Um, you know, my mom's had the, the, the tan and brown Seville. My pops had the light blue and dark blue Seville, light blue and dark blue, 98 Oldsmobile, and an all-white Coupe de Ville. You know, <laughs> all 40s parked on the block on Lewis Ave, you know. So, I mean, you, um, we was doing, you know, better than a lot of others, man. But, I mean, but, yeah, we were still in, a, in an apartment, you know, um, in the hood, a, a two-bedroom apartment where I, I have to walk through my parents' bedroom to get to mine. You know, and I mean, wow. it's, it's me and my little brother, me and my little brother, Shane. And yeah, I mean, um, I'm 16, 17 years old, sleeping in a bunk bed, you know, <laughs> with my little brother, you know. So, I mean, you know, yeah, I wasn't rich, you know, um, you know, I mean, but I mean, you know, we was I. Right. So, you know, you did pretty good, I imagine, in your career. I wonder, you know, lots of shows, hit records. What impact did having money, you know, like a good amount of money where you could be, you know, like, like very comfortable, what did that do to you and your life? Um, I mean, you know, I mean, it definitely simpl- um, simplified a lot of things, man. 
um, you know, where, you know, um, as far as, you know, um, clothing and stuff like that, you know, I could, you know, I could stay very fashionable and stuff like that and um, uh, help out with my parents, you know, um, as far as, you know, things go. Um, like I gave my pops a car. Um, What'd you give him? Volvo. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it was, I mean, it was, it, it, it was, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm, I don't know. I guess I'm just not one of them type of dudes, you know, I mean, if it makes sense to you, man, I mean, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not that, I don't have that baller mentality, you know? I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, you know, growing up, yeah, I had that player mentality and, um, you know, um, that, you know, that, that fly guy mentality, but I, I don't think I've really had that baller mentality, you know, like, you know, like, you know, yeah, let's rent this yacht out and, you know, that ain't, that ain't never really been my thing, you know? So, so, so are you saying you weren't being extravagant, so you're able to kind of hold on to a little bit more of it than the next guy? I was, I was, I was, I was, I was borderline extravagant. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I wasn't extreme as a lot of the cats, man. You know, I mean, you know, yeah, you know, I was just having fun with it, man. You know, I mean, I mean, your era in general was relative. Your era was understated compared to what developed, you know, in the years afterward when, like, you know, first album, you come out, you got six diamond chains, six, you know, another six gold crosses with diamonds out. You know, like, you you got to, you know, you got to be wearing a million dollars in jewelry just to put out a, your first single. It's like, damn, you just spent your whole advance on your on jewelry and you ain't even know if you're going to make it yet. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, these are the things that are told to a lot of young artists as they come out. And then plus they feel like, you know, that's um, first priority because what they see other artists doing is popular, you know, and unlike, you know, in my generation, unlike, um Nas generation and from what um Melly Mel and other cats told me like even with their generation like there was no one before them in hip hop but they said that you know cats like Rick James was giving them game mm -hmm. you know um like they said like a lot of the funk artists was giving them games giving them game as rap artists you know and i feel like there's a disconnect there where um, an older generation is not communicating um, with this new generation where they can actually give them game and say, yo, man, don't blow your money on this. Yo, watch out for this. Yo, make sure you do this. You know, I don't think there's a connection there. You know, so there's no one to really give the young cats the game that they need, man, to do the right things. Yeah, that's super important because there's, there's a very small period in your life for most recording artists, when you're able to really cake up. It's like athletes. There's a period when it's, you know, you're able to really cake up. And then there's going to be a period, unless you're super lucky, where, you, you know, you're going to fall off in the amount of money you can make 
is is lesser, you know, and you can still do shows, but you're not going to make, you know, yeah, that, 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 that bag gonna change. That bag gonna change drastically, you know. So I mean, it's really a matter of you know um, what you do and what you secure um, during that time period, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you know, last thing I ask everybody: What's your superpower? What's the thing that you do better than other people that has led to the success that you've had? Thing I do best. Um, I think one of my main superpowers is, um, changing or setting the tone, okay. you know, changing or setting the tone. Cause, um, you know, um, sometimes there's certain things that you want to express certain things that need to be said. Um, certain things that need to be done. And a lot of times, um, you know, might be a whole lot going on. But I mean, when you have the ability to, you know, look someone eye to eye, you know, and just change the whole mood, they might be hyped, energetic, yelling, trying to holler, holler at women and stuff like that, you know, um, trying to tell jokes about yourself. But, you know, when you, you have the ability to talk to someone, and make them focus and listen to what the hell you're saying, man. You know, yeah. Um, you get your point across, man. I mean, when you talk about setting the tone, that definitely sounds like the sort of artist you were to me because it was never like Kane is following. No, in music as well. In huh? music as, I mean, in music as well. In music as well. Where, yes. you know, um, okay, there's this, there's, especially back then. Because, you know, like now, pretty much everything sounds the same. Right. Back then, you know, um, there was so much diversity in music. So it's like um, with all these different hip-hop styles, okay, this is what it is. This is what it is. This is what we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. When you can set the tone like that, this is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Okay, you hear that? Okay, now come see that. And when you come see it, no, man, you're not gonna, you're not gonna watch a song, man. <laughs> watch me jump over this dude head. Watch all of us do split slide from this side of the stage to that side. You know, yeah, we we yeah. we gonna give you something extra. Toray Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. You can find me on Twitter at Toray and on Instagram at Toray Show and on Patreon at patreon.com slash Toray Show. And check out my newsletter, Black Minds Matter. Go to blackmindsmatter.substack.com. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garifano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. Our booker is Claudia Jean. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back on Friday and on Wednesday with more amazing guests because the man can't shut us down. <laughs>